Jesus has been talking about how Christians are called uh, to stand out in the world. And I've been stuck on this statement that I found uh, from Craig Blomberg. And the funny thing is, I wrote it in the, in the first week there, and I wrote it down, and I said it, but it actually only started to have impact the next week, and then the week after that, and I've just been stuck here. And Craig Blomberg says this, is that Christians are to be agents of redemption that permeate our world. We are called to make a difference where you live, with whom you live, with who you work, with your friendships. It's, it's, it's about Christ and his kingdom. It's about living for him and showing others what it means to be a, a follower of Jesus. Now, real quick, we've clarified at length that salvation comes only through Jesus' blood on the cross for us. And we've talked that Jesus does not contradict the Old Testament here. He doesn't make it irrelevant. Rather, he's trying to help us to interpret correctly the way that it was originally meant to. In the last uh, two weeks, we looked at these six statements where Jesus says, you've heard it said this, but I tell you this. And he's trying to help us understand that the command was good. The problem is that we as people add so many things to it and, and twist it and turn it. And we make it all about legalism and not about the very heart of what God's trying to do. Jesus summed it up later on in the book by saying this is, uh, the greatest commandment is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the second is like it. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's what Jesus is trying to get at here, is that a, a person who follows Jesus will be the type of person who is motivated to honor and bring glory to God and to love his neighbor. And again, that doesn't mean the neighbor beside you that you like. That means everyone that God puts into your path. And so Jesus has been very clear about that. He's talked about the characteristics in, in verses 1 to 11 about how we should be, or what we should look like, rather, as the Holy Spirit comes into us and as we mature in faith that we'll become like that type of person uh, that we see in verses 1 to 11. In verses 13 to 15, we talked about the purposes of our good deeds, ultimately that they point to God, not to us. This is not about me and this is not about you. This is about bringing glory and honor to the Father. And then in verses 17 to 20, we talked about how to rightly understand the Old Testament and to see the Old Testament as one, one unified uh, story that leads to Jesus. That's a really good um, mission statement that way, and it's a really good thing for us to think of anytime you're in the Old Testament. This is pointing to Jesus, and it's about Jesus. And then we looked lastly at six practical ways in which we can move forward in understanding the Old Testament. And that brings us to chapter 6. And we're only going to do four verses today. So let's read these together. This. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Notice the assumptions that are right in these verses here. He doesn't say... Uh, don't try and practice righteousness. And I think sometimes people think of it in that regard. Well, righteousness takes practice. 
It takes submitting to the Holy Spirit and choosing to do what is right. What, he's, what Jesus is concerned about is who we do it for. If we're doing it to be seen by others, by people, he says, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. When you wake up in the morning and when you think of, what does it mean to honor God? What is God calling of me today? It's not meant to be so that you can look at other, or, or, or watch other people's responses and go, ha, they think I'm a good person. Or look at all the good that I can accomplish and the good that I can do. If you're doing that, then, then Jesus says you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. Now he's talking specifically about giving here in these verses, but he's going to transition into prayer and into fasting in the next uh, couple of weeks. But I want to just read it from the NLT, this first verse. And I don't often uh, go to the NLT, but I think it really helps us understand this. Uh, This translation says this, Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. Watch out. Good deeds, they, they take practice. If you're a parent, you know this. It takes a lot of effort to teach your kids Uh, to do what's right and what's good. But bad habits, they come pretty naturally, don't they? You you could think of this in any regard. You you could say like, man, I'm really going to go to the gym and get like really healthy uh, this week, uh, this week, this year, and I'm going to go, right? And you go with good attitude, you go with good motivation, and then when do you go the second time? Next year, that's correct. Right? It's just so easy to do things like that. It's so easy to kind of have good motivation in our heart, but to not follow through by practicing our righteousness in the same way Christ. If you want a, a, a deeper prayer life, if you want to understand Scripture more, if you want to be in a, in a more intimate relationship with Jesus, then you have work to do. You have responsibility in that. You can't just say, God, just, just, just give me all those things, but I don't really want to actually work for them. There's God's role and there's our role. And they both need to happen. And God is giving us that grace saying, if you would turn to me, then I would come to you. If you would only listen, God is speaking. If I would only listen, God is showing me what he wants me to do. Another assumption here is that, well, simply that you're going to do good deeds. Not if, but that you are. In Matthew 3, 8, uh, John the Baptist says it this way. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Paul in Acts 26, 20 says that they, they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with repentance. And probably the most well-known of these verses, James 17, says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Scripture is very clear that we have a role to fulfill in this. And sometimes we look at it and we go, like, like I, this is, this is uh, legalism, or we don't want to become like the Pharisees. The point about the Pharisees is that they thought they could earn their own righteousness. That only comes through the blood of Jesus. We're only saved through him. We're saved with purpose, and we're called to go and do good deeds. And we already talked about this it, in the last chapter in verse 16 where Jesus says in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and do what? Give glory to your Father in heaven. 
often people try and make this, these four verses contradict what 5.16 is saying, but they're saying the exact same thing. Yes, do good works, do good deeds, but don't do them for man's approval. Do them because you're seeking to bring honor and glory to God. Then you will be rewarded by your Father who is in heaven. Again, Craig Blomberg writes this. The theme of internalizing God's standards continues here. Jesus stresses the importance of righteous behavior when no one but God is watching us. He says this is meant to elicit, or not meant to elicit human praise. Rather, it's meant to glorify God. I've heard it said you should live for an audience of one. Right? You should live so that God receives glory and honor. So the, the things that you do, the, the words that you speak, that they're meant to give honor to him, not to other people. This is a challenging thing, though, isn't it? Because don't we all desperately seek and crave respect from others for the things that we've accomplished? Don't we want um, admiration from those around us? Think of it this way is, is, have you ever had that opportunity to present, a, maybe it's a project that you've put out or, or a, a task that you've been given and, uh, and it, come with, it came with no thanks but somebody else received the thanks on your behalf? Or they thought somebody else did it but actually it was you that did it? How did you feel inside? Were you craving to say, they didn't do that, they shouldn't get that admiration, that, I did that. Like, I worked hard for that. I, I should get that. And, and you know what? Our culture teaches that we should. Our culture teaches if you don't get the, the admiration or the credit, in this sense, for the things that you've done, then you should, uh, you should make it very clear to others that you did it because others shouldn't get that credit. But Jesus is saying something very opposite. We might not walk around with trumpets in this kind of strange example, uh, you know, sounding a trumpet and then saying, look at all these good deeds that I'm doing. Look what I'm accomplishing. And you could try and add a caveat and say, for the kingdom of God. But if you're doing that, then this is not really about serving Jesus. It's serving yourself. And I think probably all of us struggle with this from time to time. All of us want validation. All of us want somebody to come up to us and say, man, you did a good job. But shouldn't our focus and our desire be on hearing at the very end the words that God will speak to us is what? Well done, good and faithful servant. That should be our motivation. That should be what we're trying to get, not because we need approval from man, because approval from man in the end doesn't actually mean anything because we don't know if they're good or right or true. We know what is good and right and true only comes from God. And so Jesus is, is dealing with this internal problem, and, and Leon Morris writes it this way, these people were seeking the praise of men. And if they sought the praise of men, well, they would receive the praise of men, but then there is nothing more to come. They cannot expect a heavenly reward in addition, for Jesus says they have already been paid in full. So let me say it this way, if you do things for an earthly reward, you'll probably get an earthly reward. The problem is that at the end of your life, you'll realize that that reward had no substance and it had no value, not long-term. 
We should be doing things so that we can come to Christ and we can say, not look what I did, so now you, you owe me a spot in heaven. It's not about earning salvation. But just like a little child, you know, paints a picture in preschool of mom and dad and the dog and the cat and whatever it might be, and they're so proud of it and they bring it and they say, look what I did. What are they after? The approval of the one, the parent. Look what I did for you. And you and I as parents know very well it's not very good, right? The painting looks terrible. It maybe is even offensive to you. But you recognize that your child did the very best that they could and they did it not for their own glory but because they wanted to do something nice for you. That's a very imperfect analogy but in the same way as God is our heavenly father looking down on us and, and our good works mean nothing. They're not, they're not these beautiful pieces of art but they do bring him glory and they do please him because he knows that we're to honor him by how we live. A very simple way to think of it, but it's helpful. Verse 3 starts by, but when you give. Again, what's the implication? Not if. When you give. John Stott perhaps said this most clearly when he said, Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. Let me read that again. Christian giving is to be marked by self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness, not by self-congratulation. Give without fanfare. Do it without seeking credit. The point is, is not to hide what you're doing. The point is that it doesn't matter if other people see or don't. It shouldn't motivate us to give when people are looking. There's a story that we read in the New Testament about a woman who walks up and gives the temple offering. And while we don't kind of maybe do it in that same context, is if the offering plate's going down, and you're like, oh yeah, and you take out the big wad of cash, and you start putting it in real slow so that everybody sees it, don't even bother. God doesn't need that. God is after your heart. In the same way, if, if, if all you can give is very little, and you see someone else beside you give much, your focus is in the wrong spot too. Whatever you can give, and we talked about that in the membership covenant, is however God has enabled and gifted and, and given you the means you are to give back to him. To some, that might seem like a lot or a little, but who owns everything anyway in the first place? God already owns it all. What God is after is our heart. So as we give, and, and I think to be a Christian means somebody who, when they see a need, goes, how can I to this need. And maybe I can't just fix it. Maybe I can't give everything that's required, but is there something that I can do? Can I give a word of encouragement? Can I sit down and pray for them? Can I rally other people together on behalf of someone who can't uh, fight for themselves? Not if you give, but when you give. Verse 4 concludes with the reward. Your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now again, the metaphor gets, it breaks down at some point here because you shouldn't give. That's not the point. But at the same time, we know that God, according to Scripture, 
wants to give us a reward. In another passage, it says that God is a good father who wants to give good gifts. He loves you and he wants to bless you. But the problem is sometimes we take this as thinking that blessing means what? Good bank account, a big car, a good house. Those might be some blessings, but sometimes the material things of the world are often more of a curse than they are a blessing. The blessings that God wants to give us uh, means our life have purpose. It has meaning. It matters. Most of the blessings that God wants to give us actually come on the other side of eternity, where we get to be with him forever. Where there's no more comparing, there's no more need, there's no more hurt, there's no more of any of those things. It's we have perfection with Christ, our Savior. And so when you think of the rewards that God is going to give you, don't think of it as stuff, but think of it as growth. Think of it as maturity. Think of it as God giving you a deeper sense of urgency to reach the nations for Jesus. To disciple one another and to care for each other. The simple truth of it is this, is most of us, will not stand before the world being exalted for all the good deeds we did. But if that's our motivation, maybe you'll get that. But if our motivation is that in the end, my hope is that I stand before a king who says, well done, good and faithful servant. Then I work for him. I seek to bring him glory and honor. That's what it means to be a Christian. When we talk about giving here, or prayer next time, or fasting the time after that. Those are just three tiny examples of what it means to be a person who is a very giving person. To be marked as a Christian should mean that you recognize that God has richly given you everything you could possibly need. And so you want to give that away as well. In fact, love is this funny reason. If we try and hoard it, we'll actually run out of it. Give it to everyone. God will continue to fill us up. That's what it means to be a Christian. And so we're going to look not only at giving, we're going to look at prayer, we're going to look at fasting, we're going to look at some other examples as well. But at the end of the day, think of it in this way. The point is that everything that I do, I shouldn't be concerned about man and their response. Shouldn't be concerned with how they respond to what I do or don't do, my response or my hope should be in pleasing and honoring a God who has really blessed me with everything that I need. Let's pray. God, thank you for these simple four verses here. They mean to us. Would you help us to be people that practice righteousness, that seek to do good, not thinking that somehow it can earn salvation because we know it can't. We know that salvation only comes through the blood of Jesus. But you have called us for good works and good deeds. You have called us to make a difference in the world that we live. You have called us to be agents of redemption that permeate the world. And so God, help us to do that. When we see people in need, would we figure out what is the response that I can make to that? How can I honor God through my response to this. And so God, even in these next 
uh, moments after our barbecue as we come back and as we have an annual general meeting together. God, may people not step into roles and positions and volunteer in places for some kind of prestige or, or so that others would give them approval, but would they seek to honor you with the gifts and the abilities that you have given them? Would you help our motivation to be solely on bringing you glory and you honor so that others might see you and understand their need for you? God, as we break now for a, for a meal together, thank you so much for those who worked so hard to prepare, for those who have brought food for us that we might be able to sit around tables and fellowship together. Would you bless this time together as we eat and as we celebrate? God, we are so thankful for all that you are doing in our lives. We love you. Go with us now. Amen. All right, Debbie, do we have a 